live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team, threw one at Brent's It's the T.C. Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. T.C. Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Fartzell. Right up front, Yager Fennett's side of the net. Is now in. And a good Wednesday afternoon to you, middle of the work week. Had to check that out. Middle of the work week. Hump day, of course. Glad to have you with us here. TC Martin Show, of course, streaming live. TCMartinShow.com, wherever you may be. NBA Finals? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Chuck Esposito will join us from Red Rock. A little bit later on. More great NBA guests coming your way again tomorrow and Friday as we get ready for game number six. Closeout situation for the Golden State Warriors tomorrow night. But today, we focus a lot on the ice. NHL Stanley Cup Finals game number one tonight. The Tampa Bay Lightning travel to Denver to take on the Colorado Avalanche. Two best teams in the NHL. Yeah can make that argument no doubt about it especially the way the avalanche are playing and uh of course the golden knights are looking at this saying maybe it could have been us but a colorado avalanche as we know a team that uh has been just focused all season long on getting here and they have been the best team in the nhl but one person will probably disagree with that and that is our friend tj reeves who will be joining us a little bit later on? TJ Reeves obviously covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning, so he will join us getting ready. Uh, I'm sure he has his his back to boat shirt on, or as I like to say, maybe the back to back to back to back parades that could be taking place in Tampa Bay. So we look forward to game number one tonight, Stanley Cup Finals between the Lightning. And the Avalanche, and that'll face off a little bit after 5 o'clock here, uh, local time here in Las Vegas. But uh, in Denver tonight, looking forward to that. And can the Lightning pull this off? First team to win three consecutive Stanley Cups since those early 80s New York Islanders did it four times. All right, so we'll talk to T.J. Reeves about that. All right, we've got that going on today. Tim Nevert will join us, the voice, one of the voices of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and we talk about the Dodgers' struggles, a little Major League Baseball next hour, so hang tight for that. So, yes, once again, a jam-packed show. But the Golden Knights, as we mentioned towards the end of yesterday's show, they've got themselves a brand-new head coach. He is Bruce Cassidy. And uh, he will be the third head coach in franchise history for the Golden Knights. As we know, the Golden Knights missed the playoffs for the first time in their five-year history last year. And that was not good enough. Bill Foley, Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee are saying, not good enough. Got to be in the postseason. Got to go deep in the postseason. I think as Golden Knights fans, everybody appreciates that. But Bruce Cassidy is a guy that coached the Boston Bruins for the better part of the last you know six seasons. He was fired on June the 6th with a record of 
245 victories, 108 losses, 46 draws, so to speak. Uh, a win percentage of 672. Went to the finals, if you remember, in 2019 as the Bruins lost to the St. Louis Blues in seven games. Uh, this season, the Boston Bruins were eliminated in the second round, losing to Carolina in seven games. And Bruce Cassidy thought that he was going to return. I mean, why not? Had a lot of success there, but uh, not good enough there in Boston. He actually thought that he was going to be coming back, and now uh, he becomes available, like so many other veteran coaches that are currently available right now. The Golden Knights had said a couple weeks ago they are going to take their time and see how things develop and probably maybe not make a hire until after the Stanley Cup Finals were concluded. But uh, they decided on Cassidy. They had conversations with him, and uh, he is the new head coach for the Vegas Golden Knights. Want to bring in our guest today to talk about this? Uh, ben Gotts does a great job uh, with the uh, Las Vegas, uh, rather the Las Vegas Review Journal, who covers the Golden Knights here on a regular basis. And I wanted to get Ben on today to get his thoughts, his take. Obviously, he's been following the story very closely regarding VGK. Ben, how you doing, my man? Hey, not too bad. All of a sudden, uh, a lot busier than I was 24 hours ago. But other than that, doing well. <laughs> I know, right? We just thought, you know, not much talk is 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 going on, you know, around the facility there. Everything's kind of hush hush. Golden Knights are just just made a statement just a few days ago, right? Said we're taking our time, we're gonna you know wait this thing out, see what happens. Then boom, here we go. Get a press release, and uh, your new head coach is is Bruce Cassidy. So. Curious, Ben, your initial thoughts when you heard the news that the Golden Knights were going with Cassidy. Well, obviously, it's hard to come into a new job with a resume, at least recent resume, as strong as Bruce Cassidy. I think a lot of people viewed Barry Trotz as kind of the bell of the ball of this coaching carousel after he got fired by the New York Islanders. But when you stack resumes, I think, you know, Cassidy has to be, you know, the 1A or 1B, however you want to rank them. There, The only thing that Trotz kind of has over him is he's got that Stanley Cup ring with the 2018 Washington Capitals where they clinched here at T-Mobile Arena. But it's obviously going to be interesting to hear at Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference tomorrow exactly kind of how things all came together for him because he was only unemployed about eight days where, you know, the night started their search. He was obviously not available. He was still, I believe, in the postseason at that point. He doesn't get fired until three weeks into the Golden Knights search, and then all of a sudden, basically a week later, he's the guy, and he's hired. So he was a late entry onto the scene, but he's the first guy basically out of the available pool of coaching candidates uh, hired because no other NHL team still to this point has hired someone from outside their organization, and there are still five teams with openings and three other teams with interim coaches that could still potentially make a move behind the bench so it was interesting you know how Cassidy all of a sudden when he became available it seems like things moved pretty quickly for him to get here to Las Vegas. Now we know that Cassidy has a connection to George McPhee because they were together in Washington I mean it was a long time ago and going back to you know 2002 through 2004 they're basically season and a half but he eventually was fired I believe by McPhee after that season he went 47 and 47 you know, during the, that time that, that he was there. So I'm just wondering how much that played a part. And you may ask yourself, okay, well, there's a connection there. You know, uh, you know, Cassidy worked under McPhee, but then again, he was fired. 
So do you think that kind of played into the factor there and maybe just saying, okay, you know, you were a young coach, maybe inexperienced at that point in time. Uh, you know, there maybe was some positive history there. Yeah, that first Washington go-around did not go well for Bruce Cassidy at all. He didn't even make it 30 games into a second season right. before he was fired by George McPhee, who was the general manager at the time for the Washington Capitals. But, you know, we see this all the time where coaches cycle through in the NHL and they get, you know, fired and rehired pretty quickly. So I don't think, you know, even though he was fired by George McPhee, that necessarily, you know, anything has been held against him. And, you know, as you said, it's been a long time. That was 2003 when Cassidy got fired. So it's been, you know, almost 19 years uh, since that first NHL coaching gig ended poorly for him. And I think that connection probably did ultimately help him get this job. I mean, I talked about how quickly this came together where it only took, you know, eight days from Bruce Cassidy being fired by the Boston Bruins to him being hired by the Golden Knights. I think it probably made the Knights a lot more comfortable, you know, having a pretty fast process when it came to hiring Cassidy because they had extra background on him. They knew how he was going to work and potentially fit into their building because they had someone with firsthand knowledge in George McPhee on hand. So I think that only probably was a positive in terms of him getting this job, especially because at how fast this all came together, where maybe if, you know, Bruce Cassidy was a guy the Knights were not necessarily familiar with, maybe they would have needed to slow play this a little bit more, do a little bit more background research and figure out how he was going to fit in a little bit more because they would have maybe have been as confident as to what his personality was going to be like and how that was going to mesh at City National Arena. You know, as we're talking about this, Ben, you know, about uh, Cassidy getting fired, you know, 30 games uh, into that season you know, by George McPhee in, in Washington, it just just conjures up some memories about, isn't that how Gerard Gallant got fired? He got fired basically on a bus, right? I mean, you know, uh, early on in, into a season, and then he ends up here in Vegas, right? Yeah, that was, he was uh, calling a taxi for himself right. uh, when he was with the Florida Panthers right. and then was out of work the rest of this season until he obviously got hired by the Knights. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the coaching carousel is obviously just nuts in the NHL. Nearly every you know good coach, and there are a lot of good kind of experienced coaches at this point, are on you know their second or third jobs. Two of the only exceptions are, uh, weirdly enough, the guys that are going head-to-head tonight in the Stanley Cup Final, because uh, John Cooper and Jared Bednar, I believe, are uh, still leading their first NHL teams, and you can see why, because they've had a fair amount of success there, but it's you're not going to the final, and sometimes, in the case of Gerard Gallant, even if you are, that might not be enough a couple of years down the road in this league. So I mentioned that you know Cassidy coached the Bruins basically for the past six seasons, and like you said, he had some experience before that with this, I guess the season and a half, if you want to say, in Washington. When you get down to the nuts and bolts of this thing, when you look at Bruce Cassidy as a coach and how he's developed over the years, and again, a, a guy who went to a Stanley Cup Finals a few years ago, they, they lost, but they have been in the thick of things. They went to the postseason. What are your thoughts of him as a coach and as a leader? Yeah, so I think a couple things stand out when you talk about Bruce Cassidy. Uh, One, his teams are elite defensively. I mean, since he got hired by the Boston Bruins, uh, Boston is the number one defensive team in the NHL. They've given up the fewest goals in the league. So he does a really, really good job having detailed structure where opponents have to go through kind of multiple layers of defenders to get to the Bruins net. 
and they make it really difficult on their opponents to score. Uh, the other thing that stands out is they've been very good on special teams his entire time there. Uh, over his tenure, they have the third-ranked power play in the NHL and the third-ranked penalty kill. So when you're playing good defense, both your special teams are good. Odds are you're going to end up being a pretty strong team. Now, the things where he kind of falters at least a little bit is because they're so airtight defensively, they are not necessarily a kind of open it up, create a ton of offensive uh, chances at five-on-five type of team. But the results of kind of this style of hockey almost speak for themselves, where, you know, you mentioned Cassidy obviously went to the 2019 Stanley Cup final, lost game seven to Alex Petrangelo and the St. Louis Blues. He's been to the second round of the playoffs in four out of his six seasons in Boston. He made the playoffs all six times, and he is the uh, second-best points percentage and the second-most wins in the NHL since taking over uh, the Bruins bench. So often is not necessarily the flashiest style of hockey in terms of their suppressing a lot of chances in their end and not necessarily creating a ton in the opponent's end, at least on five on five. Uh, but he's getting, obviously, a lot of results and has led to a lot of winning hockey uh, in Boston over his tenure there. And with all that being said, then, you know, fans are going to say, well, why? 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 Why did he get let go in Boston? Why wasn't that good enough? Or was it something behind the scenes? Was it a personality conflict? Was it a demeanor? Was it, you know, the old adage, and we hear this all the, all the time in all sports when you make a coaching change, well, the players need to hear a different voice. What do you think it was with Cassidy? Or do you know? Have you heard anything? Yeah, so um, the people in Boston, you know, have been pretty front street um, about it. So Don Sweeney, their general manager, was basically saying, you know, we need a new voice. He said, you know, Cassidy's message kind of takes a quote-unquote toll on players. And I think what that basically means is because he's a, you know, very defensive-focused guy and has a kind of very disciplined way that he wants his teams to play, you know, eventually that kind of wears guys down where he was, like I said, in there for five full seasons and then part of a six. So I think over, you know, that time, he's obviously harping on these guys quite a bit and maybe you know a lot of these core guys in boston have been in place for a while and maybe by the end they start to tune out a little bit because they've just been kind of driven so hard for so long by bruce cassidy so that was basically the you know um reasoning that don sweeney gave when he was talking about the uh firing at his press conferences he just felt that you know eventually the message and how it was being received uh by the bruins players was not as effective is how it had been at the beginning of Cassidy's tenure. But he said, look, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be effective in a new place somewhere else. He said, in fact, I expect Cassidy to have success wherever he goes next. So that was the main criticism that was uh, levied at Cassidy is that message just got, you know, a little stale because he'd been there a while. And I think he's because he's a pretty uh, intense kind of coach. And the other one is what I kind of mentioned earlier was that his teams, while they are strong in a lot of areas, defense, penalty kill, power play, they are not great offensively. So that all that defensive identity comes at the expense of creating a bunch of chances at the other end. And it sounds like by the end of you know his tenure there, Sweeney and then Bruins president Cam Neely were kind of talking about after the Bruins season was over and they lost to the Carolina Hurricanes that they would like to see some changes there. That they would like you know their defensemen to get more involved in the offense. That they would like the Bruins to not be as you know. Uh, stick to their structure as much and get a little bit more creative and things like that. So that's the main on-ice criticism of Cassidy is, you know, can he open up his offense a little bit more 
at five on five. And then obviously off ice, it was, you know, the messaging in Boston got a little feel. He rode players and I think especially young players pretty hard. But if he obviously goes to a new team here in the Knights, you know, that likely will not be an immediate concern and it might not be one for at least a couple years here. But on the other side of that is, and I know Golden Knights fans are saying, well, wait a minute, that has been the problem here. That, you know, we have been terrible on the power play. They've been, uh, you know, lacking offense, and especially with all the star power that the Golden Knights have had. Now, granted, there were the injuries, and we all understand that. But even when those guys were healthy, even going back to last year, Ben, as we know, I mean, the, the, the goals were not coming, especially in the postseason. So wouldn't you think that the Golden Knights would go after maybe a guy that could be a little, you know, um, you know, innovative to a certain degree, at least, you know, uh, you know, with the puck on the offensive uh, end of the ice there. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's different because you're talking about uh, five on five and power play where, like I said, the five on five offense hasn't been outstanding with Cassidy, but he has gotten through on the power play. And that's what's obviously been lacking for the Knights the last couple of years where, it's what got them out of the postseason in 2021, where they were only four for 43, and then 0 for 15 against the Montreal Canadiens in that semifinal series they lost, and then 25th in the league this year. Even though you know, despite all the injuries, still by the end of the year, you have Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, Alex Trangelo, Shea Theodore, and you're still just not clicking at an elite level. So I think obviously the hope would be if you can bring Bruce Cassidy in here and he can raise the level of the power play to where it's probably more where it should be with the level of talent that's at the Knights roster. That's going to make up for some of the maybe step backs that happen at five on five in terms of offense, especially if the defense raises its level as well. So that's going to be the key. I think for him is keeping a lot of what Pete DeBoer did well here, which is Pete DeBoer's teams were pretty good, you know, defensively and on the penalty kill, but adding maybe that extra power play offense that could potentially take the Knights to another level this upcoming season. I think that'll be Cassidy's charge heading into next year. Ben Gotts joins us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Ben is the beat writer for the Vegas Golden Knights. You can read his article on uh, the hiring earlier uh, today. Actually, it's uh, online at uh, the Las Vegas Review-Journal.com. So what do you think, Ben, are the key factors here that the Golden Knights were really looking at to find the right guy for this job? Because obviously it wasn't Gerard Gallant, it wasn't uh, Pete DeBoer, and now you're looking at a guy like Bruce Cassidy where, like you said, he comes available. It's like, wow, okay, is this guy the right guy? Or is he just, you know, the, the, the timing was good. We didn't think he'd become available. But just diving into the factors, what do you think that George McPhee uh, and Kelly McCrimmon are really looking for here in a new head coach? Yeah, well, I'm sure they're looking for experience, for one, even though Kelly McCrimmon didn't actually go out and say that when he fired Pete DeBoer. But you have to imagine with the expectations that have been on this team, basically, you know, since the moment they had that magical inaugural season, that they probably were not going to go with a first-time head coach in this gig, especially with kind of all the veteran coaches that were available this offseason, that they probably wanted someone who they could be confident, handed the keys to, and expecting to get good results this season and kind of a bounce-back campaign for the Knights after they missed uh, the playoffs last year. And then I think the power play probably was a big factor, of like someone who was going to uh, bring in new ideas, new ways of doing things, something to get the most out of kind of all these talented players that the Knights have assembled, 
that weren't necessarily maximized um, under Pete DeBoer. They were strong in a lot of ways, um, but that was one area where they really fell short, and that's one area that I think you can point to. You know, maybe the coaching didn't necessarily get it done. So those are two things um, that stand out to me. And just obviously, you know, it is a cliche, but a new voice to kind of help the Knights, you know, discover, um, you know, their identity moving forward again into next year. I think Cassidy has a clear idea of how he wants his teams to play. That will help the Knights in forging their identity. And I think it probably helps that because he got fired this year after probably thinking like he did a pretty good job with this current Boston Bruins team, that he's got a little bit of, you know, fire in his belly and something to prove. And I think that's something the Knights want to take into next year as well after missing the playoffs last year. So I think, you know, those kind of motivations are pretty aligned and that can be something that I'm sure stood out to the Knights in this process of that Cassidy is motivated, feels he has something to prove. This team does as well. So maybe those emotions and those motivations can line up heading into next year and be positive fuel for the Knights as they try to return to the postseason. You know, as you mentioned, there are a lot of veteran guys that were available, veteran coaches that are available looking for jobs, and several of them want to jump right back in immediately. Uh, several teams are going with interim coaches, at least for now. They're kind of seeing how everything else shakes out here. So Cassidy obviously being the first guy, and the Golden Knights jump in and say, boom, okay, we're starting the, the process here, and we're, we're going to get this guy. I guess, again, it goes back to with so many veteran coaches that are available here, do we know I mean, how many people that the Knights have talked to uh, prior to Cassidy here and why they settle on Cassidy instead of maybe a trots or some of the other experienced coaches that are available. Yeah. So it hasn't been discussed publicly um, who all the people have talked to. I know um, some of the rumors of who they talked to. And I think Elliot Friedman, the sports net has been on it. So, you know, talk to trots, talk to Rick Tockett, who was a TNT analyst, uh, potentially talked um, to Jim Montgomery, who was a St. Louis blues assistant coach used to coach the Dallas Stars. Um, so hopefully we'll get some more answers at Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference tomorrow. Like I doubt that'll be the case because the Knights don't exactly like to reveal much in terms of how this process goes behind the scenes. But I do think it's pretty obvious just looking at Bruce Cassidy's resume and the results that he's gotten in recent years, that there's a reason why he would potentially jump to the top of the pile once he would become available. And if he expressed interest in the Knights and they expressed interest in him and there was some mutual, you know, agreement of like, we would like to find a deal here. You can see why it would come together quickly with how strong, you know, of a candidate he is and how, you know, maybe that was the guy that really caught their eyes. The one obviously interesting guy that's kind of comparable to him, I would say is Barry Trotz, but we still haven't seen Barry Trotz, you know, find a home yet, despite having interest from multiple teams. So there's been obviously plenty of rumors out there of, you know, you want to, look at management in the near future and maybe set up some sort of deal where he can transition from the bench to up top in his next gig. Does he want to just take a year off at some point because he's been coaching, you know, consecutively for so, so long, going back to starting up the Nashville Predators as an expansion franchise, that maybe it's best for him to take a break and recharge for a year or something like that. It's not exactly clear what Barry Trotz wants to do, and with a candidate like Cassie that was available, you can understand the Knights maybe saying, well, we're good with taking this right here rather than waiting to see what Barry Trotz ultimately decides to do. We would rather lock Bruce Cassidy up uh, right now because we're happy with what he's going to bring to the table with our team. 
you know, we've heard that Cassidy is one of these guys that he likes to, you know, pump up the music. He likes to be a little loud and vocal at times. And he may bring a little fun factor into this Golden Knights organization. And when you look at the previous coaches, you really haven't had that. I mean, Gerard Gallant was, I enjoyed his humor. I mean, he was, he was very kind of stoic and everything. And, and DeBoer really, you know, didn't seem to be that type of guy. But Cassidy seems to be a little bit more of that fiery type of guy. Uh, would, would you think uh, that that might be a good fit for the Golden Knights? And then again, it's like, hey, you know, let, let's bring a little fun factor to this team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they react because I do think he is a very, you know, different kind of personality, especially compared, you know, to uh, Pete DeBoer, where, you know, Pete DeBoer was very, I think, guarded in public. He tried to kind of shield his players from criticism. He really tried not to publicly criticize his players, except for kind of at the end of last year when he started getting in or talking to Robin Leonard a little bit. And even then he took some of those comments back at his postseason media availability, the last one before he was fired. Um, but Cassidy, I mean, his reputation is he's just a very honest guy. He's a very shooter. And obviously, you know, one can infer that maybe that's why he ultimately kind of wore out his welcome in Boston as well, is that he, his reputation is he does not sugarcoat things. If he doesn't like how a guy's a guy is playing, he's just going to straight up tell him. And then if someone asks him about that player, he's going to say the exact same thing. And he's not going to care necessarily what the player, you know, thinks about him saying that publicly because he's already told him behind the scenes the same thing. So it'll be interesting to see how guys react to that if he does indeed kind of carry that over that philosophy to the Knights. Because as I said, Pete DeBoer, I think, tried really hard to, you know, shield his players from criticism, not add to the criticism of his players. But, you know, Bruce Cassidy, he's coming as a straight shooter. And so I think that will have to be something that the Knights adjust to if he doesn't necessarily change his ways in this stop. What we've noticed here so far, Ben, in the first five seasons with the Golden Knights, yes, they've been successful, and the bar is set pretty high here, which is a good thing. And you're in the fan base, you're thinking, hey, you like that. But when you fire guys like Gerard Gallant, who takes you to the Stanley Cup Finals in the inaugural season, and Peter DeBoer, the success that he's had here, and a lot of people were maybe a little surprised that, that he got let go as well, too. How comfortable can you be if you're a coach coming into this situation here with the Golden Knights, knowing that it just hasn't been good enough for these first two coaches? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think if you're Bruce Cassidy, this is a really high bar for you to clear. I mean, the guy right before you made two back-to-back semifinals his first two seasons and Pete DeBoer, the guy before Pete DeBoer made you the Stanley Cup final his first season. So if you're Bruce Cassidy walking into this, uh, best of luck matching those kind of debuts from those coaches. I mean, this is obviously an organization that has one goal, and that is winning a Stanley Cup. And obviously we are in the last year of Bill Foley's kind of cup in six <laughs> right. promise to the fans. So if you don't get it done this year, Bruce, Bill Foley is a liar. So like I said, no pressure on you whatsoever. I think it's obviously going to be a lot for him to take on and take in. But, you know, coming from, you know, a city like Boston and an original six franchise like the Bruins, I do think he's probably used to pressure. He's probably used to criticism. He's probably used to high expectation. Obviously, that is a franchise that has won in the past, expects to win, and expects to continue to win. So I don't think all of these kind of things swirling around the Knights right now are necessarily a stranger to Bruce Cassidy. Uh, I don't think he's going to be afraid of them. 
And based on, you know, how he handled kind of all those expectations in Boston, it seems likely that he's going to do pretty well under them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well enough to take this team deep into the playoffs and potentially even win the Stanley Cup. That obviously remains to be seen, and that's kind of the ultimately bar that he will be judged on, uh, which is tough, but... Right now with this franchise, that is kind of how it goes. All right. Ben Goss, Las Vegas Review Journal. Great stuff on your story this morning, uh, Ben, talking about Cassidy, his background, and, and getting uh, you know some of those quotes that um, they had said uh, about him in Boston. And uh, just just great insight there. You did a fantastic job, man, and I, and I appreciate having you on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You know, before I let you go, this is game number one tonight uh, between the Avalanche and the Lightning. Uh, quick thoughts about game one tonight, and then uh, who do you think wins this series? Yeah, I'm really excited for game one tonight. I think the Lightning, because they have just a shorter layoff, are probably going to be fresher tonight. And just based on goaltending, I like them as well. I want to say, like my head or heart wants to say that this is the Avalanche is year that they've worked so hard for this they've been building and building and building up to this moment and they're so fun and so talented but i look at andre vasilevsky and i just don't think that he's gonna let this one slip away so i think i have the lightning ultimately winning this series in seven games wow there we go calling the back to back to back huh <laughs> That's what I'm going with. It's going to be interesting, and uh, that high-octane offense that Colorado has. I mean, you're right. It's fun to watch. You know, you, you knew, especially in these Western Conference you know, playoff series, that we were getting you know, 6-5 games, and we are getting some, some high-octane there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, with Vasilevsky, if they're going to be able to, to puncture the net the way they did in the last couple series. So that's, I think that's what I'm looking forward to. Can they do it is the question. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting because this is not, you know, a test that Colorado has faced before. And I think they've gotten away with, you know, less than ideal goaltending in their own net where Darcy Kemper obviously had that really scary eye injury in round one against the National Predators, you know, left the, I believe, Oilers series with, you know, an upper body injury again. And then Pavel Fransu, who did a very good job filling in against Edmonton. I don't know still if he's a guy that you're confident is going to deliver you these next four wins that you need to hoist the Stanley Cup. So I'm fascinated to see how you know that situation plays out for Colorado. Can they keep Tampa Bay out of their own net? And yeah, I just think Andre Vasilevsky, no matter what the offense he's facing, I just have so much confidence in him as a postseason performer that he's going to find a way to get it done. All right, we could have a long series, so we'll look forward to it. Ben, great stuff. We appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it. You got it. There he is. Ben Gotts from the Las Vegas Review-Journal covers the Vegas Golden Knights on the beat. You know, we talk about Bruce Cassidy, and, you know, there are stories out there. He likes pumping up the music, and he gets fired up and that sort of thing. Can you bring some fun? And I think that's it. The players, they want to have fun. And you saw that was part of the success with the Vegas Golden Knights in that first season. We've talked about it so many times with the Golden Misfits. This is what's happening with the Las Vegas Aces right now. You bring Becky Hammond in. Not that Bill Lambeer wasn't fun because, you know, being around that team, Lambeer had his moments and, you know, he he could be a fun guy. But a little quirky, a little different. But he kind of struck that, I don't want to say fear, into a lot of the players. Becky Hammond is the ultimate respect, and they had respect for Bill Lambeer, as we know. But with Becky Hammond, it's like she's – 
really letting the players do their thing. And there's the ultimate respect as being a former player in the WNBA. They're connecting here, and you're seeing that with the Aces. You're seeing fun. You're seeing fun in practices, in the games, um, you know, off-court time as well, too. And if you go to the, the Aces, have one of the best, kind of like the Golden Knights. They do, Both of those teams just have great you know, social media you know, people that do a fantastic job. My man Chris over with the, the Aces does a great job. But if you go and check out some of their like their Twitter feeds and Instagram, all that stuff, go check out the Las Vegas Aces in their tortilla slap contest. Go check that out. Oh yeah. It's it's a you know, Nubchuck's thinking that we should have a our tortilla slap off here. You know? You're damn right we should. Yeah. <laughs> Now, are you saying you and I should have it, or, or like with our guests? No, me and you. Oh, you have no shot. You know, I mean, you have no shot. I, I think, I think, you know. So what the Aces have done? So they they all get together. They pour water in their mouth. They hold the water, and then you take these flour tortillas, and then you're you're smacking them up against each other. Not sure if they were corn or flour. Now that I think about it, and um, yeah, there's. Gonna I be think more. they were flour burrito shells. There you they, go. They were they were big, pretty yeah. big. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. But uh, yeah. The fun factor definitely happening with the Aces. See if that can happen with the Golden Knights. Speaking of the fun factor, which we always get, the T.J. Reeves factor. From Tampa Bay, as he's getting ready for his lightning, he's going to be ready to brag. He's going to be ready to boast. He's got his shirt on. He wants to get back to the back to the back to the boat parade again. We'll talk game one and the series, lightning and the avalanche with T.J. Reeves coming up next. All right, let me put some water on your balls. More from the master debater. Martin. You'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. Our next guest, he's already planned the boat parade. I can I can feel it. I mean, we've had enough boat parade talk with this guy. With the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and oh, by the way, could it be the Tampa Bay Lightning again? We will see. Get ready for game number one of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight. It's finally here. We're only in the middle of June. It's finally here. June 15th. There you go. June 15th. Happy birthday to my guy, Dusty Baker, today. There you go. As I said to him earlier today, you were a cool 72 last year. Now you're a hip 73. There you go. With all that being said, TJ Reeves is ready on the ice. What's going on, my man? Always good to be with the doctor. Do you believe in Omens, Doctor? As we get ready for Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final, do you believe in Omens? Absolutely. Do you believe in yes. these things? Yes. As we speaketh, as I hold this cell phone in my hand and talk to you nearly 3,000 miles away to your east of the Tampa Bay area, a hellacious thunderstorm has begun with lightning blasting around the palatial oh. Reeves estate. So if you believe in Omens, I know we're not in Denver for this to happen, but if you believe in omens for the potential three-peat, that's a pretty good omen right now as I speak to the Dr. T.C. Martin that there is lightning and thunder in the area. Thunder and lightning, a great song back in the 70s. There you go, T.J. Yes. Reeves. Uh, yes. I, 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 you should be in Denver. I mean, you should be in Denver with your team. I don't know what's wrong there. Well, uh, there is a there, there is a salary cap in the Reeves household, as you know. That's true. A year ago at this time, we were out in Las Vegas spending part of the children's uh, education fund <laughs> out there. We did, my God, another, another blast, I exaggerate you not, of thunder 
just shook the house. I may step outside in a moment because I want Caddyshack uh, and uh, <laughs> and the electrocution with Bill Murray. You may need to hear this for yourself yeah. in a couple moments to know that I'm not exaggerating. So stand by. I may do that in a moment. Yeah, I really don't think the hard uh, stuff's going to come down for quite a while. For quite a while, exactly. All right, where were we? Oh, yes, uh, cracking the kids' college funds to go to Stanley Cup finals games. So we tried to do that a year ago, and, of course, your Vegas Knights did not cooperate. <laughs> so we were 3,000 miles away, and we did not come uh, all the way out there and get to see a Stanley Cup final game. So instead we did some other stuff. All right, so we did, just for fun, look at, okay, what would it cost to fly from Tampa to Denver. We did that this weekend when the Lightning had clinched on Saturday night. Brother, it was starting at starting at $1,500 a flight to try to get to Denver for Wednesday, much less the $900 or $1,000 to get in the building, which that price came down a little bit earlier today, but it's still like seven or $800 to get in the building. You're talking about family of four having to spend like ten grand just to get there and get in the game. Forget about eating or, or sleeping on a park bench in some city park in Denver because you can't afford a hotel. See, so it's not that we wouldn't want to go. It's just that uh, that man, wouldn't even price. be on that wouldn't even be on my radar. I mean, again, if I mean, I was just saying, you know, you could just go cover the team. You know, you can go by yourself and, and go into the building. But I know you enjoy watching it from the the comfort of your own home, and, and that's cool. If you want to spend that money, I guess, with the family. Then buy them tickets to maybe some home games might be just as expensive. But more importantly, T. Jerry's, if you're going vacation, get back to Vegas. It's much cheaper. You can come make make some appearances on the show. The twins love my restaurant reviews. I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. Annual event, my friend. Annual event. The twins in Vegas every summer. Well, yeah, but you honestly believe that I could get away with going to the Stanley Cup Finals without them? By the way, let me update the conversation. I am currently standing outside the front door with the rain coming down and the sun out just to risk electrocution for the possible sound effect hey, of one of those that's close. That's very to close. come on this conversation here in a moment. So I stand appreciate by. I want you to sense just how much we are trying to be the thunder. That's the slogan down here, be the thunder in Tampa Bay. We may be the thunder live on the T.C. Martin Show right now in Las Vegas. We may be living it. Um, there, there are raindrops the size of frogs that are coming down right now. So this is a good omen for tonight, for game one of the game with the avalanche. Uh, here tonight, but I'm I'm standing here for one solitary reason, and that is to see if you can get one of these thunder booms on the interview while we talk yeah. about the game. That, that's so. that's quite right. I mean, you, it could be the omen the other way around, my friend, where you could be getting avalanche tonight. All right, the avalanche are well rested. I mean, you're, the, this lightning team. I mean, they've been you know, it's been it's been a tough road for them. I mean, come on now, T.J. Reeves. They are the underdog in this series. Well, remember, you the can... Lightning had a long rest before the Rangers series, and they might have been a little flat for uh, game number one. So then uh, they lost game one. They lost game two. Have you not figured out by now? These guys don't care. The Lightning rest, no rest. Home ice, no home ice. They're going to find a way to get one of these two games in Denver, brother. They're either going to get this game tonight or get the game Saturday. That would be a frog, ladies what, and gentlemen, what, what you're hearing right now. That's a teach. blaring in the it's background. It's a frog. It's a frog. You brought it. Okay, so yeah, you well, got to be careful I, what you bring up with this guy. I am serious. I'm going to step back inside because the rain, the rain is pelting Yeah, go down. inside. We, open, we get the gist of it. We, we have our own sound effects here. Don't worry about it. I just want natural, natural sound effects on the show if possible. So I'm opening a window 
by where I am, live here on the T.C. Martin Show, in the event that you can hear the thunder boom, if it comes this way, just to prove to you that we have omens. But anyway, back to the lightning. <laughs> um, back, to, back to this game one. Do you not feel them in game one tonight with Colorado with so much time off? I am all over. I've already made my wager. I've already made my wager on the Avalanche tonight, T. Jerry's. I'm going against you. Now, if you'd like to make a food wager on this as well, we can do that. But I've already got the Avalanche. They're winning game one. Home team wins game one. You know that. Well, I mean, I would would tend to say yes, but you're dealing with the two-time defending champs that have played really good hockey against the New York Rangers while Colorado has kind of sat back, maybe been on the golf course. Don't know what they've been doing for the last seven or eight days since they last played. Resting. So, well, yeah, well, resting. We'll see where that gets yeah. them tonight. Huh? I, I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to this, this series because we have the hot, uh, the high octane avalanche, uh, you know, offense. Uh, you know, Vasilevsky, obviously. I mean, the best. I mean, this is really going to come down to, you know, what, what's going to get it done, TJ Reeves? I mean, you know, we we start analyzing this series here. I think it's you know it could be a lot of people are buying into okay, this is the Avalanche's year. Everything has gone this way. You know, for the past couple of years, they've kind of been, you know, getting there closer and closer. The Golden Knights fans have seen the Avalanche up close and personal. And then this year, they just put it all together. And don't you believe, I mean, you're talking about omens. Don't you believe in karma? Because that's what Avalanche fans are saying right now. This is their year. Karma based on what, though? I mean... They were just bouncing everything the first into, last year. Right, right, right. But, okay, they, they, they took it on the chin early last year, but, again, underperformed. But they've really played well all season long. You know, top seed, ready to go, home ice advantage here. Um, and a lot of people will say, okay, Lightning had their time. That's enough. And here's what I want to ask you here. So do, do you see the Lightning in your objective form here, my friend, okay? Kind of like the Warriors here. Now, the Warriors are outstanding, but the Warriors have been that team, which we've talked about so much, that they can turn it on and they can turn it off, and sometimes to their detriment. And do you think the Lightning are like that as the Warriors, that they have had so much success that they kind of feel that they you know, can do that and maybe that can come back to, to, to bite them? It could, but, I mean, they have remained composed even when behind in a series. I mean, they were down against Toronto three games to two, down in the game six at home, could have very easily cracked, and this thing's over with in the first round for the chance of the 3 P. They didn't crack. So whether it's turn it on, turn it off, or understanding it is a seven-game series and we have to win four somehow, some way, and, and by the way, in that series, they had to win a game seven in Toronto where Vasilevsky got the shutout. Brother, he's the money goalie. He's the difference in this. Colorado's not getting away with playing a six to five, you know, seven to six game. They're not going to score over and over and over again on Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, the Rangers had one game where they got six goals on him, and that was the game where the Lightning had been off for seven or eight days. They're not. I mean, the last three games, New York scored. Here we go. One goal, one goal, and one goal. The Lightning have been great defensively. He's been great in net. And let's see what happens. I mean, Darcy Kemper, the the rematch, he's been injured. He's given up a bunch of goals. Darcy Kemper versus Vasilevsky. What are we talking about? No, I know. T.C. Martin squashing uh, what other radio competitions out there competing with the galactically famous (laughs) T.C. Martin show. No contest is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I mean, defensively. uh, And that's what makes this 
this series so interesting here tonight. And how much do you put? How much stock do you put into home ice? We know the Tampa Bay's five and two, and look what the None. Avalanche have done. They're seven and one, right? No, no, no I, I take that back. Seven and one, seven and one, it. Tampa Bay, five and two for the Avalanche. I don't put any stock into it because this team has repeatedly over the last three years. Remember, the core of this team, Stamkos, Kucherov, those names you're going to hear tonight, Victor Hedman, the outstanding defenseman, those are all Hall of Fame caliber players. They've been here this entire run. So you can take the totality of the last three years and look at them winning time and again on the road, including in crucial elimination games, winning on the road. They won the game seven in Toronto. They turned right around with everybody talking about, oh, this is the Panthers' year for revenge. You beat the Panthers in the playoffs last year. Beat them the first two games in Miami. Bop, bop. We talked about it on your show. Everybody talking about, oh, game five in New York. Back last Thursday night, back uh, back now a week and a half ago. Oh, look out now for game five in New York. It's a huge game. Lightning won the game. Vasilevsky allowed one goal. They won the game. I, I, the, home, the home ice advantage does not phase this team. They will win either tonight and or Saturday. Book it. They're wow. winning one of these two games at least. So let me ask you this, because every time that you know we get into a finals, doesn't matter what sport it is, People want to talk about, okay, what happened during the regular season. That's the beauty of this, you know, East versus West. You only face each other two times. The Colorado Avalanche beat the Lightning both times, very one one goal uh, games, and both very low scoring games. Any thoughts on that? Does that play into anything here? And like I said, it was a long time ago. Right. It's It's a good point usually but with this team it doesn't matter the rangers beat the lightning three times and beat them decisively three times in the regular season and then when they won the first two games i know you didn't ask me this all we heard from the new york people oh we own you this is your funeral (laughs) forget about it you're done you're not going to get the three-peat on and on and on and and then as the series wore on and they lost game five at home crickets witness protection they lose game six in tampa Exactly, Numchuck. Very nicely played. You cannot find any of them. They've gone back under their rock. They've gone back to put their VHS in the VHS machine to watch Martin Messier win the cup in 1994 in standard definition TV. That's what the Ranger fans have, brother, to go back on because they thought they had something against the Tampa Bay Lightning by winning regular season games and the first two games of the series. Meanwhile, this team remained composed and found a way. And so I love the fact that, that the first two were in Denver with everybody talking about Avalanche this, Avalanche that, Colorado favored. I mean, I even heard you say you're taking them tonight. Okay. I mean, that's, that's motivation. Uh, the Lightning <laughs> love to, to hear all of this because they've heard it for the last three years. And, again, this, this is a team that has won 11 series in a row, 11 seven-game series in a row. You've got to go back to the New York Islanders winning those four Stanley Cups to find any team that's won that many series in a row. That's how composed and how good they have been doing this. I know. I can hear Steven Stamkos right now. That T.C. Martin went against us. Come on, guys! It's fired up! It's revenge! <laughs> that's motivation, see, uh, as T.J. Reeves we says. Stamkos on the show. We might have to uh, get Stamkos to come lo- on here. and Love to talk to him. He might be a little busy, though, this evening, yeah. getting ready for the game. All right, so we know the prediction. You're predicting the Lightning, so then we only have to answer half the question here. All right, how many games? I believe that this will be over with by six, and it could be over with quicker. Now, the game six. Make a uh, prediction. Let's go. Not this waffling. It's not a multiple-choice question. How many games, TJ Reeves, does your Lightning win, and then you get another blue and white shirt and the back-to-back-to-back 
boat parade. Yeah, right. All right. So the official answer is, Alex, for uh, Double Jeopardy. There you go. T.C. Martin is wrong. The Lightning will win the Stanley Cup in six games. They will skate on home ice with the Cup for the second year in a row. Skated in the bubble two years ago in Edmonton, Canada with no fans, which was bizarre. Skated with a, a half-capacity arena in Tampa last year against Montreal. And they will skate in front of a full-capacity arena when they beat the Colorado Avalanche in six games. By the way, we do have one breaking news element on the seven-game series for the Lightning and the Avalanche if it is a seventh game. That would come on June the 28th. June the 28th would be game seven, Tuesday night, June 28th. That is the Twins' 14th birthday. (laughs) If it comes to it, my friend, if it comes to it, there will be some debate about whether or not we can make it to Denver, and I will just uh, do radio for free for the rest of my existence, or what will happen. The the Lightning are not losing on the Twins' 14th birthday. It's not happening. If it comes to Game 7, it ain't happening. There it is. The Lightning will win on the Twins' birthday. Just like the Astros aren't losing on Dusty Baker's birthday. There you go. That's exactly And and not only that, TJ Reeves, but the breaking news today, we had not one, but we had two immaculate innings today as the Houston Astros defeated the Texas Rangers. History, my friend, because you had two different pitchers that did this. All right, you, you, you had uh, Garcia and then you had Maton. The immaculate inning, for those that are not familiar with that, is nine pitches, nine strikes, uh, three batters <laughs> up, three down. And here's the ironic thing, okay? It happened, what, three innings apart, right? It was the same batters that all <laughs> struck out on the nine pitches with the Rangers. The same hitters. I thought you were going to tell me next that you had gotten money down on a live betting that that was going to happen the second time around and have already cashed in and you're eating on the arm on Blue, oh, on Blue Ribbon State tonight. Man, I, that was not available on the William Hill mobile app as far as the in-game there. <laughs> there. That was not available. So there you go. All right, so TJ Reeves already gave us the prediction. Here's the, the question that everybody in this building wants to know. Are you printing up the T-shirts already? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I come with the goods when I come out to Vegas or I get them shipped out to you. We've already talked about that. Uh, so, yes, we're, we're down to get you some more swag if this is, in fact, a three-peat. Again, nobody has done this since the Lakers. Well, let me, 2000, 2001, 2002. So this is historic stuff. Let me, let me put, so, this, put this out there to our, our, our whole crack staff here, the T.C. Martin Show and everyone in the building here. Uh, would you guys like T.J. Reeves again to supply T-shirts at the Lightning win? Yes. 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 <laughs> See, they they've seen the type of T-shirts that you deliver. I don't think the crowd's too enthused about that. We might we might need to supply the three leave T-shirts again. That's on the billboard. Yes, please. The They're requesting the no leave. dick T-shirts. They, they want no dick T-shirts. <laughs> three leave shirts for the three peak for the lightning That's for good. the history that's I like been that. made. That's good. All right. So the, maybe the three leave is coming your way. We'll see. By the way, he just jogged. The game one a year ago where I might have mentioned we came all the way out to Las Vegas to watch game one in person and your uh, your team got beat by the JV Montreal Canadiens. Is this a rerun? Is it, you keep saying yeah, this Nunchuck, over and over. Nunchuck remembers I was sitting in the William Hill Sportsbook at the what? Cosmopolitan with you for game one, yes. prior to game one yes. that night. We went to dinner that night. Yes. Uh, 
and and then we went to dinner actually after the Lightning won Game One in the Eastern Time Zone. We went to dinner with you, and then we went and got on the zip line, the Flying Link, right there on the strip. I almost died. All of that was on the Twins' birthday for Game One a year ago. Wow, that's so true. The good Mojo is back on the TC Martin Show. We were with you for Game One last year. I'm on the radio with you for Game One tonight. Go Lightning! There you go. Go Lightning! He's saying Go Lightning. Okay, real quick take, quickly. Uh, what do you think yes. of the Golden Knights hire of Bruce Cassidy? You know uh, Boston Bruins team pretty good. What do you think? Obviously, they have cleaned the slate. They have. They have now. You, know, you get rid of the goalie. You get rid of the GM. You now you get rid of the coach. So they've retooled. Let's see. Cassidy's obviously got experience, and they, the Bruins were in the uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, obviously under him previously too. So. Uh, let's see. Let's see what happens for the Vegas Golden Knights. I just know this. In John Cooper, we trust. In John Cooper, the lightning coach, we trust. Going for history. Al Arbor is the name from the New York Islanders in the early 80s. That's the last coach to have three straight Stanley Cup wins. Scotty Bowman is the other guy that has it from the Montreal Canadiens most recently. So that's pretty good company if Cooper and the Lightning can get this. Just remember, when you go to that next boat parade, you go up to John Cooper and you say, Green Bay Gamblers! (laughs) That's right! John Cooper got his gig with you guys because of his success with the Green Bay Gamblers. With T.C. Martin doing the radio promotion and giving away the tickets every week, on the every week Coop was on the show with me, and yes, I was throwing, I was throwing the teddy bears on the ice from the Bud Light deck there at the rest center. Absolutely, <laughs> Coop was on with me every week. So you go drop that. And here we go, T.J. Reese, from the gambling perspective, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Are you ready, my friend? You still got time. You've got two hours. Go get your bet because they are. The series underdog. You, TJ Reeves, and all those Tampa Bay Lightning fanatics, plus 145 to win the series. How can you not indulge in that and let that pay for your vacation? I understand. Load up. I'm I'm saying to the uh, the audience, load up on the boats. They've won 11 straight series for a reason. The home ice is not a disadvantage for them. We're going to find a way, my friend. I like him in six. Appreciate the time, as always. Great stuff, man. Uh, Enjoy your game tonight, all right? Enjoy. I love it. Uh, There will be no post-game milkshake at Holstein's tonight Uh, at the Cosmopolitan like there was a year ago. Yes. Please have one in my stead. Mm -hmm. Out in the Vegas desert, you boys be well. Go Bulls. All right. And I'll be actually uh, having that on Friday. So there you go. Uh, In honor of T.J. Reeves. All right. We come back. Tim Neverett's going to join us. We talk Los Angeles Dodgers baseball plus a look at MLB. And yeah. A little history happening today in Houston, uh, rather in Texas, as the Astros beat the Rangers two immaculate Indians. Phenomenal. The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live. Bryant sends one to deep left, way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet. It could be. Top win. Top win. Top win. Oh, 
is now in. Glad to have you with us. Hour number two. Oh, yes. As we get ready for game number one, Stanley Cup Finals tonight between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Look forward to that. And then tomorrow, back at it for the NBA Finals. The series now shifts to Boston as we get ready for game number six. Warriors-Celtics closeout situation with that. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. Chuck Esposito will join us from Red Rock. Uh, tomorrow, OP is back with us, Olden Polonies. And don't forget Friday, back at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, Jay Schrader will join us. Marco D'Angelo back. Fun-filled day, of course, as always, on the T.C. Martin Show, especially on Fridays at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. All right, we talk a little Major League Baseball right now. And again, uh, as I said earlier, the had a little history uh, today as we didn't have just one, but we had two immaculate innings today in the game between the Astros and the Rangers. Uh, Luis Garcia, the starter for the Astros today, and reliever Phil Maton each threw an immaculate inning, which means nine pitches, three strikeouts, and uh, Martin Maldonado keyed a six-run first inning as Houston rolled over the Rangers 9-2. But uh, first time that that has happened with uh, two different pitchers, same game, but here's the ironic thing. It happened with the same three hitters for the Rangers. So Garcia got the same three hitters out in order, all on strikes, and then Maton did it in the seventh. Garcia did it in the second. Maton did it in the seventh. Same three hitters. How's that? I mean, we've heard like the golden sombrero, right? When you, wait, when you strike out what, you know, four times. In the, what do we call that? Let's go to our baseball expert. The one and only, one of the voices of the Dodgers, our good friend Tim Never joins us now from Chavez Ravine. What's going on, my man? <laughs> that, that's called good scouting when you get the same three guys that way in the same game. Right. Tim, yeah, you've, uh, you've, been pretty, broadcasting, you've been broadcasting a long time. Uh, the Red Sox, Pirates, Dodgers, just to name a few. Have you ever witnessed anything? Have you ever witnessed an immaculate inning? Have you ever called one? Yeah, I... Uh, Two of them in the same season in, uh, I want to say, maybe 2017, 2016, somewhere around there. Uh, Rick Porcello had one, uh, and uh, Craig Kimbrell had one. Wow. Um, And it was in the same season, but never in the same game. Are you kidding me? You you hardly ever see that. Um, And I, I know I've seen one another time, too. I think it was with the Pirates. Somebody threw one. But I know as I'm calling an inning, and I see a guy strike out on three pitches, and I see the next guy come up, and he, when he's got two strikes, I start like using my finger as fingers as an abacus, and I, I'll, I'll count them out, so I'll know exactly when the, the immaculate inning occurs. And I haven't had one in quite a while, but um, it's just uh, that's it's one of those really rare feats in baseball. But to see two in the same game and the same three hitters going down in order is ridiculous. I loved it. And on Dusty Baker's birthday today. There you go. So, they're a nice present for Dusty today. Gets the win and, and a little bit of history there as well, too. So, pretty nice stuff there as the Astros uh, get the win. All right, Tim, uh, before we start talking other baseball, specifically the Dodgers with you, uh, as, as you know, and um, we've been talking about uh, Steve Sachs, as you probably know, very good friend of mine, of course, former Dodger there. Uh, his son being killed last Wednesday 
in part of this marine exercise uh, as a pilot. Uh, very, very sad. Steve was on the show last Wednesday afternoon, and he got the news about his son dying after the show was over. It was just so sad. Oh uh, yeah, it was just, it was. And then, you know, we get the word days later that this happened. Um, and, we, and we've talked about it here. So I know Steve tweeted out uh, and posted on social media that the Dodgers did a moment of silence uh, at their game at Dodger Stadium uh, the other day, and I thought that was a, a classy act on the Dodgers. And we know that the, that the Dodgers organization uh, and their fans still love Steve Sachs, but just a horrific accident uh, that's transpired. It's, it's still hard for me to... To get this, uh, you know, to, to believe this happened here, but um, uh, yeah, I just uh, just was curious that you, if you were at the stadium that day when the Dodgers did that, and, and yeah. speak a little bit about that. Yeah, it was last night uh, because they've been on the road when it happened. Right. Uh, I think we're in Chicago, and then went to San Francisco, and then uh, Sunday. I want to say yeah, Sunday afternoon in San Francisco, we we did something on the telecasts. Uh, uh, I was working with Eric Carroll on TV yeah. that day, and we we did something uh, uh, in the fourth inning, I think it was. Um, and then uh, last night, the first home game after uh, the Dodgers' return, the Angels were in town, and, and they had a moment of silence uh, before the game. And yeah, just uh, you know, terrible tragedy, and everybody's thinking of him and his family, and of course the other families that were affected by it. But yeah. uh, just just a terrible thing to have happen. And, you know, anyway, and, you know, it makes it, uh, you know, that much worse is when it, when it gets close to home and somebody in the Dodger family is affected this way. Right. Right. Very sad. All right. Uh, so speaking of the Dodgers, actually, I was, I was watching uh, your, your calls, uh, you know, over the weekend, I, I did uh, get a chance to see a good part of that game. And uh, I was, I was thoroughly confused him on what has happened to this Dodger offense and this goes back really for the better part of the last two weeks where the Dodgers have struggled and we just go you know to the the San Francisco series where the Dodgers get swept and then it happened again last night where they won the game against the Angels 2 nothing but the Dodgers haven't scored more than two runs in their last four games the runners in scoring position uh, three for their last 27 uh, it's been it's been downright ugly, and I'm not sure I, I can put my finger on it. You're there. You're with the team. You're calling these games, and especially in the game that you called, and also Saturday, where I believe they had base runners on every inning, and they couldn't yeah. score them. Yeah, Saturday they had the bases loaded, nobody out in the seventh yeah. in, in a one-run game. Couldn't get anybody in. They had uh, second and third in the eighth. With I think nobody out, and then with one out, second and third in the ninth, couldn't get anything done. They lost I think three to one on Saturday, and then Sunday it was just like you know one of those games where you didn't need to bring a bat to the plate with you because it wasn't working anyway. So, but that's that's baseball, you know, it's ups and downs, and they've had some downs lately. Uh, they're they're going to turn it around at some point in time because they're just too talented not to. And you know, Mookie Betts has really struggled in June where he was unstoppable in May. So, in fact, I think I said on Sunday's broadcast, I said, I think somebody ought to tell Mookie Betts it's May 43rd. And just, you know, convince him that it's still May. And he had a home run last night in his last at-bat, hit a breaking ball out. Uh, It was good. But uh, they just have to get it going again. And with Betts, Freeman, and Turner at the top of the order, uh, it's just uh, 
a matter of time, I think, before they start getting things going again. And this week's a good week for them because they have Monday off, two of the Angels, they have Thursday off, uh, and then uh, three over the weekend with Cleveland. So they, they just finished a stretch of 31 games in 30 days because of the lockout. They, were, they had to push these games together. There are other teams who have these long stretches, but typically in a normal season, you're not going to play more than 19 or 20 in a row. Uh, but they had to play 31 in 30 days <laughs> so yeah. without, without any days off. And I think it was catching up to them. I think it was catching up to the pitching. I think it was catching up to the offense. Um, and has caught up to the offense. And speaking of catching up, the Padres have caught up because yeah. the Dodgers went on, the, on that road with a four-game lead in the division, and now they're tied. And the Giants picked up three games against the, the Dodgers, obviously sweeping them over the weekend. But that's why you play 162. I mean, what's the story for July? What's the story for August and September? I mean, they're, they're going to be different stories every night. And uh, that's, that's the beauty of a long season. It allows you to fail and still dig your way out of it. And that's what the Dodgers are doing right now. And speaking of bets, he's three for his last 35. And you mentioned he, you know, he hit the homer in the eighth inning you know, last night. I believe he struck out all three times prior to that. But I'm watching you know, him over the last, like I said, during this slump, and especially in that series in San Francisco, Tim, it just looked like he was, like, and this sounds crazy for a superstar like Mookie Best, but it just looked like he's, he's lost some confidence. I mean, you know, so many strikeouts, uh, you know, not, not sure when to pull the trigger or whatever. And I know that, you know, some managers will take a leadoff hitter and they'll say, okay, you know, we, we've got to move you down or we got to move you out of that spot. Dave Roberts hasn't done that, but I've seen, I'll use Dusty Baker as an example because he did it with Altuve uh, th- on three different occasions over the last couple seasons where Altuve went through these long-gated slumps and he moved him like to the six hole or down to the seven hole. And what that does, it just takes a lot of pressure off of that hitter because, there, as you know, there's immense pressure being a leadoff hitter. And we know Betts is a great player and he's a great hitter, but... You know, when you're talking about three out of your last 35 and then looking as bad as he's looked, uh, how much of a concern? And I know you're going to say that, well, you know, down the road he's going to be fine, but tell me what you see when you've been seeing Betts come to the plate like this, not just leading off games, but he's been coming up with runners in scoring position and not delivering. Yeah, and he was one of the guys that came up with the bases loaded and nobody out the other day in San Francisco. Right. But I don't know, did you see the first strikeout last night? I did not. I not see it was, the first call, it was a called strike three, and the ball is a foot outside. Right. Okay, and not making excuses for him, but right. that. But if you look, go look it up, you'll see it. Oh, sure. And, yeah. And you know his reaction tells a story because he doesn't react when he strikes out. He hardly ever does. Um, but th- that one aside, uh, you know he's had some at bats where he's taken too many strikes. He hasn't been aggressive enough. And I've normally seen him as an aggressive hitter, but when he does get aggressive, sometimes it's not the right pitch, and he grounds out. And I know in Chicago. Uh, the recently completed series against the White Sox, uh, he kept, you know, he had a lot of quick at bats, and you know, he ground out, pop up, things like that. You know, hitters go through that. I still don't know if I'd move him out of that leadoff spot. To be honest with you, he still leads. I think he still leads the major leagues and runs scored, and that's the name of the game. And he's also, you know, among the leaders in home runs, which for a leadoff guy is highly unusual. So uh, I think he's tied for the league lead in home runs now, but. Um, He's a unique player because of that. And I think what they're doing, and I just saw the lineup for today, it's the same exact lineup from last night. Uh, You know, he's at the top of the order, and I guess that's just sort of what to expect. I mean, we're seeing more old-school 
out of the Dodgers this year in terms of how they do the lineups because, you know, way back when, uh, a manager would have the same lineup in the National League. It would be pretty much the same eight guys, one through eight, and then the pitcher would bat ninth. Uh, that's what you get used to in the major leagues. You know, in recent years, it's let's tinker with this, let's tinker with that. And, um, you know, what the Dodgers are finding is that they're having more success than not by keeping a fairly similar lineup in there. You know, Justin Turner will be the DH again tonight. Will Smith will catch. Uh, you know, one, one issue is, uh, you know, Justin Turner's not having a, a great season average wise, and neither is Cody Bellinger. Uh, Bellinger's hitting 204, and this is a guy who was the MVP of the National League in 2019. Um, and he's having some some struggles at the plate, too. So, you know, the six, seven hitters are the guys they, they've really got to get going. Uh, and I think everything will take care of them, so, take care of itself. Because once Betts gets a, after his first at bat, keep in mind, this guy's got like 33 career leadoff home runs. So, I mean, he starts the game, but he's in scoring position when he comes at the plate. But once he has runners on in front of him, now he's driving guys in and scoring runs himself. So I, I, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on moving him out of that first spot just yet. I, I think that this is the ultimate sport for patience, and the Dodgers are still in first place, and there's still a ton of baseball left, not even close to being halfway through the season. Right. And I just uh, I just watched the uh, strikeout that you're referring to, that curveball that is about a foot outside, and see Betts' uh, reaction where he's jumping up and down the box and, and complaining to the umpire. Yeah, that's, 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 that's frustration. But definitely a bad call. You know, no question about that. Yeah, and, when you're not, and when you're struggling, yes. and, uh, and then you have an at-bat taken away from you like that, he's had a couple of those in the last road trip, where there were pitches that were not in a strike zone called a strike on him. Uh, you know, look, I, the umpires have a tough job to do. They're not perfect either. But at the same time, when you're struggling and those things are happening, <laughs> you're thinking to yourself, what could be worse? Hmm. You know, I can't, I'm getting myself out and then they're getting me out too. So um, that, you know, but again, it's baseball. It's what happens. You know, I know just up the road, they're using the automatic ball strike system uh, at, at Las Vegas ballpark <laughs> yeah. where the aviators play and, I'm trying to find a way to get over there at some point this summer to see how see it in action. I haven't seen it yet. And speaking of which, I had Don Logan on yesterday, and we were talking about that. And you know, last Thursday they also have now the inception where we they brought second base in thirteen and a half inches closer to the pitcher's mound, Tim. So now you don't have ninety feet in between the bases anymore. It's eighty-seven. You've got that. No, it's not that much. It's not that much. It's only it's only a couple of inches on each side. Well, they said thirteen. Uh, they brought it thirteen and a half inches closer to the mound. Is what they said. That's what uh, they move. They move second base. Just second base. They move that thirteen and a half inches, which is crazy. I don't, I don't know. You know why? Yeah, why I that? See that. I, haven't, but, I haven't seen that story. And <laughs> and and they're and they're and the bases are are bigger as we know as well too. So right. like what? What are we doing here? We want more excitement on the bases. Don't we have enough excitement on the bases? Every time, every game, we're we're going to replay to see a bang bang uh, play at second base or first base or something, right? Or a third base on a tag out yeah. or an attempted steal. There's nothing wrong with the game. Come on, Tim. This is driving me nuts. Well, no. I've not, I've I've not heard of them moving second base in. And I was on a conference call with Major League Baseball on a Zoom call about you know these these rules that they're experimenting with. This was a couple months ago. And, um, you know, the reason they want to have to try the bigger bases, which they tried in the minor leagues last year, is to actually get them closer to one another without making them too oversized. But what that can do is they think that's going to increase base stealing. Right now, it's just a math formula. 
Uh, we have to wait and see what the data proves at the end of the season. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm all for bringing the stolen base back. I'm all for hitting runs again. I, we don't see the hit and run. I, I can't remember a time I've seen a hit and run. I know, I've right? Counted, I've counted two pitch outs this year. All, that's all I've seen is two pitch outs. You know, all the things that used to be normal in a game, uh, we're not seeing as much. And Major League Baseball realizes that. They're trying to bring some of those things back. And you would think, you know, we don't see many bunts, uh, sacrifice bunts, and you think you would see more, especially with the shift. I mean, it's just, especially like with left handed hitters, I mean, lay one down the third baseline. It shouldn't be that hard, right? I mean, if if you're a fan of the San Francisco Giants, you've seen plenty of bunts. Because right. they lead, they lead they the league do. in bunt base hits. You're right. They're bunting against the shift. We were up there. It was Saturday, Saturday right? Their catcher. Yeah. This made me scratch my head. Kirk Casale gets up there, and he bunts, bunts foul. That he bunts foul again. So he's got two right. strikes. Right. I saw that. Right. They're, they're yeah. going to take it off. Oh no! He tries to bunt again. Yes. And then bunts foul, and he's out. I mean, that was yeah. frankly that was stupid. It was. You know. Yeah. That's why you, you don't do that with two strikes. But um, they they were just intent on having their catcher, who's hitting in the nine spot, lay down a bunt. You know, it's it's not a pitcher where you're willing to sacrifice him on the base paths, but it's your it's a guy that actually produces runs for you. And uh, you know, so the, the Giants try to bunt more than anybody else. They're they're trying within the rules to reinvent parts of the game anyway. And, um, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And all three of those, but I was watching that, and all three of those bun attempts were horrendous, Tim, especially the, the third one. It was a oh, horrendous yeah, it was attempt. Awful. It was like, you yeah, know, a, really a, around by his shoulders or something. He threw, oh, just terrible. Yeah. yeah, it's awful. All right, talking to Tim Neverett, uh, one of the voices of the Los, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, we talk about the Dodgers. We figured, okay, you know, they're probably going to have a couple all-star pitchers. You think one of those guys would be Clayton Kershaw as we approach the all-star break. Uh, one's Tyler Anderson. The other's Tony Gonsolin, right? I mean, these guys have been pretty much fantastic, and I'm not sure anybody really saw – Saw this coming. Give me your thoughts about Gonsolin and Anderson thus far. Yeah, Anderson pitches tonight against the Angels. Uh, Reed Detmer's on the other side, but Anderson seven and zero. His last outing was not that good. Right. Um, Las Vegas kid has, too, by the way. You know Anderson. He is. He's yeah. from uh, from Spring Valley. Right. Um, but yeah, so he um, uh, his changeup wasn't as good as it's normally been. When his changeup's on, he's really good. He changed the grip this year. He went back to kind of some old old grip that he used to use, and uh, he, he's been working really hard with the coaching staff. And he's listened to these veteran guys like Kershaw and whatnot, and it's really helped him. And it's been a, a major surprise. But what we see him do is he's very very economical with his pitches. He's had a number of I don't even know what the number is, but he's retired the side in order a number of times. And, and so he's been a very good surprise because when they signed him. And we saw him in spring training. It was more like he was going to be maybe a piggyback guy, maybe a long guy out of the bullpen, something like that. And then he started the season coming out of the bullpen, backing up Tony Gonsolin in a piggyback role. We figured, okay, that's what it's going to be. And then the Dodgers lost Andrew Heaney, who's probably going to be back as early as Sunday, we think. Um, and then he was thrust into the rotation and hasn't lost since. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Tony Gonsolin's been amazing. His splitter is as good as anybody's in the game. His changeup has been very, very good. And he's finally been able to, to figure things out. But uh, right now, I think you'd have to say that Tony Gonsolin is the leader in the clubhouse as far as who might be the starter for the All-Star game. Right. So, yeah. So I think that that is uh, 
that's an interesting one because it's going to be in his home ballpark. And again, the, the pitchers are chosen. They're not voted on. The, the pitchers are selected and then the manager picks the starter. But right now the guy's eight. No, he's got the best ERA in the major leagues at one, four, two. And uh, he would be the natural guy, regardless of what team he played on. If the season, if the first half stopped right now, Tony Gonsolin has got to be your guy to start the all-star game. Give us a Clayton Kershaw update. We saw him uh, pitch in San Francisco. Uh, what, 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 do you, what are you seeing with Kershaw right now? How's he doing? Uh, good. He said he felt good um, after his four innings, and that was pretty good for him coming off the I.L. You know, people say, well, why, doesn't, why didn't he stay in the game? Well, he just came off the I.L., and there's a guy you got to protect. So uh, he pitched four pretty good innings. Um, I think he'll probably go, uh, depending on how many pitches he throws, five or six in his next outing. Um, obviously, the way the game is will will dictate that. So he's been feeling good. He says he feels healthy, um, says he's not sore. He says he's feeling really good. So that's how the Dodgers need to keep him. They need Clayton Kershaw healthy. Okay. All right. You mentioned this division tightening up with uh, the Dodgers. Uh, I don't want to say the losing streak, but the way San Francisco has been playing, the way the Padres have been playing uh, quick thoughts about uh, both of these teams and, and how much of a, of a contender is either one of these teams. Well, both, both are, and I think you know it's going to be a two-horse race when it comes down to it in the division. And keep in mind, the Padres are still without Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, you know, the Dodgers have allowed the Padres back in the race because they were starting to pull away, and had they continued to be consistent and not get swept at home by the Pirates, I think that's kind of what set them on this tailspin. Um, you know, they, they were just ready to start to pull away, and then they fell into a hole. So now they've got to find a way to pull away again. And um, they got a lot of games head-to-head with the Padres in the second half of the season, including two series in September. So uh, that's going to be pretty fun in September uh, when those two teams are battling for what could be a division title unless the Dodgers really get hot here and start to, to reel off you know, some streaks like the Phillies and Braves have been doing. Mm-hmm. And the Dodgers are definitely capable of doing it. It's just a matter of getting out there and getting it done. I mean, we looked at the National League East for the better part of the last couple seasons, and we're saying, eh, nothing special there. And, of course, the Braves put the, the run together last year, and they, and they win the World Series. And now they're hot again. Uh, they, you know, they were basically very, very healthy until Albies went down the other day. And then we saw what happened with the Phillies. And I'm not saying because Joe Girardi's not their manager anymore uh, that they're having the success. I mean, they're, they're healthy as well, too. Uh, you know, Harper, Bryson Stott, the UNLV kid, uh, Real Muto, they're really putting their bats together. And then there's the Mets. And the Mets, you know, have basically survived with the injuries to Scherzer and so many other people on this roster. Talk a little bit about all three of these teams and what you think that the NL East is looking like. Well, we're going to get an up-close look at the Braves here shortly because they're on our next road trip. Uh, We just saw the Mets. Mets are good. They're going to be really good. Uh, when uh, DeGrom and Scherzer get back, uh, and Alonzo, too. I know he's he got beaned on the hand. But, um, yeah, it's it's a good division. I, I don't think Philadelphia – I mean, they're improved, but I don't know where they fit. I don't know where anybody else fits other than the Mets uh, because the Mets are going to go out and get whoever they need to get. They have pretty much unlimited resources to do whatever they want to do, and they're willing to pay all the taxes. So yeah. – <laughs> It's uh, it's going to be called the Cohen tax, but um, isn't that kind of yeah, like the Dodgers though? When you when you when you yeah, <laughs> yeah it is it is. It's called the Dodger uh, tax. 
<laughs> well, you know, Steve Cohen tried to buy the Dodgers about ten years ago and didn't wasn't successful. That's right. So, the, so the group that that owns it now, uh, yeah, they they've paid some tax money and they're going to pay some more this year. That's for sure. Hmm. So it should be. I mean, if you just go on dollars and cents, and then you look at the rosters and look at the talent, come down to the end. I mean, you'd think it'd be Dodgers and Mets playing to see who goes to the World Series. Wow. All right, great stuff, my friend. All right, we'll let you uh, get back to it. Dodgers and Angels tonight. Uh, this Angels team, they, they they can't score. They went through that, long, what, 14-game losing streak. Uh, yeah. Trout's back. Rendon's finally back, but uh, still, still struggling. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, Joe Madden getting let go, Joe Girardi getting let go. A uh, quick take on on some of these veteran managers who are no longer around here and these teams that are winning. I don't I don't correlate it to those guys being gone. Do you, Tim? Uh, no, it can just be a different voice, I guess. It's it's hard to you know, it's 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 hard to really pinpoint without being around them every day. Yeah. Uh but as far as, you know, the Angels are concerned. Phil Nevin's getting his first chance, and you know who knows if that's going to help in the in the long run. Because uh, as a you know, as college basketball coaches have told me, it's not about the X's and O's; it's the Jimmys and Joes, right? So it's it's who's out there, it's who's in those uniforms, and you know the the Angels have two of the best players in the game, yet they still can't find ways to win on a consistent basis. And you know Rendon had to leave the game last night; he reaggravated his right wrist. So um, they haven't put out their lineup yet today, and they might be waiting to see if he's able to go or not, uh, especially with a left-handed pitcher on the mound. And Tyler Anderson, you know, the Angels are going to want as many right-handed bats in the lineup as they can get. So they're, they're probably waiting on Rendon to see if he can go or not. That's why their lineup's not out. But uh, it, it's, it's weird. You know, with, with the Angels, they have a great fan base. They're in a great spot to draw from. They've had success in the past, but they just – I don't know – they haven't had uh, the dominant pitching. Even the, the addition of Noah Syndergaard, which I thought would help them quite a bit, uh, he hasn't been very good on the road. And that's been kind of a surprise to me because he's back and he's healthy. And when I saw him early in the season, I said, wow, this guy's going to have a pretty good year. But he's just been kind of so-so for them so far. And he's not uh, going innings. I mean, this this guy no. is, is going four or five innings. Are they, he, did he get pulled last, last night in the third or the four, fourth inning? I think he got pulled last night, right? Yeah, yeah, he he didn't even go five and fly last night. I right. mean, it's four innings, uh, it's four plus, I think. Yeah, right, uh, at right, that right. point. Yeah, yeah. But he, um, he, I, I thought he would be doing better for them right now, and and maybe, maybe something clicks and maybe something turns around. We'll see. Because again, there's way more than halfway, uh, uh, way more than half a season left, and a lot of time to do stuff. I, think of the, in 2019. Think of the Washington Nationals and where they were at this point in the season. Yeah, everybody written them off. And they were done. They were donezo. And all of a sudden, they'd win two out of three here, three out of four there, sweep a series here, take another one there. They won the World Series. You know, so, again, at this point in the season, and with the uh, addition of more playoff teams this year, they're going to be teams that, you know, in past years never would have qualified for the postseason that will this year. So it's going to be a... <laughs> It's going to be an interesting fall, that's for sure. And we're, we don't even know 
we, we know who some of the players will be, but not all. That's for sure. No, that is a great point about the Nats too, because and we've seen teams do it this year, go on these streaks. I mean, we thought, okay, the Braves they're not going to go back to back the way they started, you know, the first month and a half of the season, and then they went on this run. The Astros went on a big run to distance themselves in that division away from the Angels, and the Angels slid the other way. And yeah, we're we're seeing these elongated win streaks, and of course the Yankees seem like they never lose. You know, at uh, you know at uh, you know at forty five and sixteen now. So yeah, you're right. It, it takes. Uh, just take some time to get hot and I think you know the team that you call we are going to see them get hot and reel off one of these you know nine or ten game winning streaks or you know 12 out of 13 or 14 I just I feel that that's going to be coming up because we've seen them do it you know early on this season yeah you know you'll see guys like Freddie Freeman get hot you'll see Trey Turner you know stay hot Mookie Betts is going to get hot um you know Max Muncy's got to start hitting at some point in time and and uh he's always on base but, uh, you know, you're going to see these guys get hot, and who knows if they make any additions on the trading deadline. I, I would assume they would because they always seem to do that. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun the second half of the season. It's, it's good right now, but they need to take care of business against the Angels tonight and then, you know, Cleveland coming in on the weekend, these interleague games. There you go. Are you on the radio or the TV call tonight, Tim? No, I'm not on until Sunday. I'll be on TV on Sunday, and then I'll be on radio the whole road trip. Good deal. All right, we'll be watching and listening, my friend. I appreciate the time, as always. All right, thanks, DC. No problem. You got it, brother. There he is, Tim Neverett, uh, one of the voices of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Does a fantastic job. I got a chance to to watch Tim over the weekend when they were in San Francisco, and then also when they were in uh, in Chicago as well, too. So always great when we can catch Tim either on TV or on the radio side. We know we have a lot of Dodgers fans here in Las Vegas. So when we come back, Chuck Esposito joins us from Red Rock. We talk Game 1 tonight, the Stanley Cup Finals. We talk Game 6 of the NBA Finals tomorrow night. A lot to talk about with Chuck coming up next. What's up, y'all? This is Sinbad. You checking my boy T.C. Martin talking about what's happening. Oh, busy next couple nights, huh? You got to love it. Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight between the Avalanche and the Lightning. Looking forward to that. We'll face off a little bit after 5 o'clock and then tomorrow. Game 6, NBA Finals reconvene in Boston. Warriors and Celtics closeout game for the Warriors. The Celtics are going to extend it? That's the question. All right, more of our NBA guests uh, coming your way uh, tomorrow, so we look forward to that. Olden Polonisa will join us. Scott Spritzer as well, too. Yes, and right now, from the sportsbook side of things, we talk to our good friend over at Red Rock, watching multiple televisions. And multitasking like only one can do. The one and only Chuck Esposito. What's going on, Chuck? I'm good, buddy. Just uh, you know, counting down until Game One of the Stanley Cup Finals starts. Uh, NBA. Looking forward to Game Six tomorrow night and a uh, full slate of baseball. Not necessarily great matchups, but uh, um, overall, it's still kind of a busy time for us. I just wonder, and, and somebody just brought it up, Chuck. I said, could I have gotten uh, an in-game wager on getting not one but two immaculate innings in the Astros-Rangers game? 
Wouldn't have that been? Probably I said that would have been sweet. Probably. That would have been sweet, right? What would be the odds yeah. on that? Since it, well, astronomical, since it's never happened in the history that you had two in one game with Luis Garcia in the second inning for the Astros, the immaculate inning, uh, three batters, nine pitches, three strikeouts, and then you got Phil Maton doing it in the seventh inning, the Astros reliever. And the ironic thing, Chuck, is it was the same three hitters. For the Texas Rangers, the same three guys in the second inning, the same three in the seventh. That's never happened before. Crazy. Crazy. You can't imagine what that parlay would have paid, buddy. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> no kidding. All right, man. Uh, let's talk a little baseball. So okay. a, a lot a lot of Dodger money, I think, is, is has been burned, Chuck. Now, last night they, they got the win, uh, covered for run line betters with a homer by Mookie Betts in the eighth. But, man, Mookie Betts has been down right off of three for his last 35. Dodgers. Three for the last 27 with runners in scoring position. They got swept by the Giants. Uh, we've seen them falter against the White Sox, the the Pirates before that. But what is your what's your take on the Dodgers? I think a lot of it's pitching. You know, with the the injury to Bueller and um, with with Heaney gone for a long stretch of the season. Um, this you know, outside of a, a few spurts, they haven't been hitting great. And you look, they're four and six over their last ten games and. Padres seven and three, even though it looks like Tatis had a setback and not quite ready to swing the bat yet. Giants have been playing really well heading into today. They were seven and three in their last ten games. Lose today, um, but uh, overall now you look at that National League West and it's really tightened up a bit. Um, and um, my guess is all three of these teams are going to be really active at the deadline. Yeah, we can imagine that too, and they they got some money to spend as well too. And we know the Mets are, are a team that likes to spend money as well too, and uh, they they continue to to get the job done. It's funny, you know, we're talking about the National League West with those three teams, with the Giants and the Dodgers and the Padres, but over in the NL East, we've just kind of you know kind of ignore that division over the last few years, Chuck. And the Braves came you know rolling along in the second half of the season, but now you look at that division, the Mets are playing well. The Braves, you know, reeled off 12 in a row. And uh, then you got the Phillies, you know, that have uh, played some great baseball, you know, went on a nine-game, you know, or eight-game win streak. Uh, don't know if they're, you know, going to continue it, but uh, some thoughts over in that division. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the Mets were playing such good ball earlier in the season, TC, but, you know, still a lot hinges for them on the health of Scherzer and DeGrom and when ultimately they come back. It might be, you know, a blessing in disguise that maybe these two guys are well-rested. They don't have a lot of innings on their, on their arms this year, and they come back, and they're lights out in the second half of the season and the postseason. Um, as you mentioned, Braves 10 and on their last 10, have won 12 in a row, um, getting healthy at the right time. Acuna, you know, stealing bases, playing well, their pitching's well. The Phillies, since the managerial change, have been on a roll at 8-2. and two. Uh, Today they had the walk-off, you know, winner after trailing almost the entire game 1-0. So uh, those three teams in the East have really tightened it up a bit as well. Yeah, and then over the American League, I mean, I imagine that uh, people are running to the to the window or going on the app and they're betting Yankees, Yankees, Yankees. And uh, this team, we've talked about it before, Chuck, is just a, a great run line cover as well, too. And look what they did last weekend against the Cubs, putting up 18 runs. I think went 13 in another game. Uh, just, just craziness how this team just does not lose, and they're scoring runs. 
they, they were fortunate that they had the Cubs the last couple of days. I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a mismatch. Um, you know, and you're right about the run line, though, TC. You look at the the last, yesterday, for an example, favorites were 13 and three. Uh, Eleven of those 13 wins, uh, the teams were able to win on the run line as well. And that's kind of been what we've seen out of the betters this year is that you know they're not only backing the good teams to win and throwing them in their three, four, five, six, seven, eighteen parlays, um, but they're also betting them on the run line. We're getting a much better price. And you look at the majority of the games that teams like the, the Dodgers and Yankees uh, and Mets, when they are winning, um, they're also winning at a high clip on the run line. Uh, which is more beneficial. I mean, last night you look at uh, um, the Dodgers scoring that run in the eighth inning was a dramatic change in the overall outcome of the day uh, by having them cover the run line. So that's been a big part of of kind of some of the early season struggles, uh, kind of celebrating it for the betters. They've done really well, and uh, it's kind of the haves and have-nots. There's a big gap between the good teams and the bad. Uh, We usually see it more around the trade deadline or mid-July than seeing it right now. But it really started earlier this season, and you're seeing that reflective in some of the prices on a a daily basis where you see a team like Atlanta today over a $2 road favorite. Right. And and the thing about it is, Chuck, when you're talking about the the lines, we've we've seen so many favorites – that are $2, and we've even seen some $3 favorites. Do you recall uh, seeing this many two-plus-dollar favorites on a daily basis in this early in the season? No. I, I, you know, we had this conversation in, in, uh, in hockey season, and we saw the bigger and bigger numbers on the board, and I think you're seeing that in, in baseball. I mean, if you look at, you know, the slate today, that you're seeing even huger road favorites in many cases. You've got – you know, Toronto, that's over a $3 favorite today. San Francisco was over a $2 favorite. You look at, you know, the Dodgers are close to that. The Cardinals are close to that. Atlanta, over $2. So, again, you're getting back to kind of the, the haves and have-nots, and I'm afraid that that gap's even going to get larger um, as these teams, you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline when you've got competitive races in some of these divisions and teams like, you know, Yankees and Jays that are very close. Uh, um, the White Sox have had a lot of injuries this year, but the way the Twins have played, uh, the Giants, Pods, and Dodgers all could be active. We know that there's, you know, a number of teams, the Giants, the the Yankees and Mets, who have all been kind of tied to Wilson Contreras so far. But there's going to be some big names that are moved, and most of the teams that are on top right now are the teams that are going to be active and, and engaged as buyers, not sellers. Mm. You know, we saw the Tigers, they're struggling, of course, and they got beat down pretty pretty bad today against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Tigers manager A.J. Hinch had a team meeting after the game today and called it an embarrassment that they used three position players to pitch in a game. And he goes, that's the first time that's happened in the rich history of the Tigers. So, you know, A.J. Hinch is, is having this meeting, but he's the guy that, that ordered the position players to go ahead and pitch here. And it's, it's kind of funny because we've seen a little bit more and more of this, and we saw that uh, the Cubs against the Yankees, and I, I believe, I, I can't remember who the position player was on Saturday, through the EFAS pitch. I think that was going about 33 miles an hour, Chuck. I mean, I've seen your fastball much faster than that, and that got launched for the 18th run of that game uh, for a homer, I think, in the bottom of the eighth. And, oh, by the way, here's a nice little tidbit to this story, Chuck, about the A.J. Hinch having this team meeting saying, hey, we had to use three three position players. Well, the last team that that happened with in, in the recent history, Chuck, who do you think that was? 
The Houston Astros. No, it was the Cubs last year. All right, Cubs. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you that it was uh, oh, it was Frank Schwindel. <laughs> there you it go. was Frank Schwindel for the Cubs, and, and you're right. My fastball clocks right at 34, so I would have been <laughs> right there, buddy. There you um, go. But uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the Tigers, and I think those were they were one of the teams in the off season um, that got a lot of hype. Was kind of they they made some moves in the off season. You know, they had the big signing of of, um, of Javi Baez, who's getting a whopping you know 188 right now. And some of these teams that we thought would be a little bit better have really got out of the gate kind of slow. Uh, they're one of those teams. I think if you look at every division in baseball right now, the team at the bottom in every division is 500 or less over the last 10 games. There's not one team that is playing better baseball. The Central, you've got Tigers and Royals both three and seven. Orioles are five and five. A's one and nine in their last 10 games. And you slip over to the National League, Nats four and six, Reds five and five. And Diamondbacks and Rockies four and six, a little bit better, but none of these teams are even above five hundred. So when you look at teams on top, as we talked about the Braves and and the Phillies and 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 the Yankees, how well that they're playing right now is it's bet the good teams and fade the bad teams. Yeah, Chuck Esposito joins us from Red Rock, talking a little Major League Baseball. We now switch gears and we look at Game One of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, it's June fifteenth, Chuck. It's finally here, right? But uh, we kind of expected the Avalanche to be here. Here come the Lightning again. Lightning going for the back-to-back-to-back to to be the first team since those early uh, 1980s Islanders team who won four in a row. Give me some thoughts here as we get ready for game one here tonight between the Avalanche and the Lightning. I think it's a great matchup. I think you talk about Tampa, as you mentioned, uh, two-time defending champs. In this salary cap era, you know, trying to be the the first team since the Islanders of God knows how long ago um, to win three in a row. The salary cap in the NHL is made, so teams don't have this dominance. So you do have more parity. I think it's, you know, it shows what a great job the Tampa front office and and Cooper have done. Two-time defending champs. You've got Vasilevsky between the pipes against the team that was our favorite on our future book board uh, going into the season, and that's Colorado. Colorado had disappointing losses the last two years. Two dynamic players, McKinnon on the front end, McCarr, who's an offensive de- defenseman on the back end. Um, it, it's funny in this series, TC, but 58% of the tickets um, are on the abs, yet you've seen more money bet on Tampa in game one. However, 71% of the tickets are on Tampa to win the series. And, you know, Colorado's been off for nine days. Kemper between the pipes has been off for even longer than that because of the injury. Tampa's been playing, you know, top-notch hockey now for two straight series. We've seen it in the past. Tampa came back from that long rest against the Rangers, got beat in the first two games, had to come back in that series. Last year, due to COVID and the year before, when teams were having that seven-day layoff, when they came back, they just didn't have their legs. I think the fresh versus the rest, you know, I mean, the rest of the team versus the team that, that, that is coming off playing good hockey really plays in here, and that's why we're seeing so much action on Tampa. Um, you know, tale of two kind of conferences who play different styles. Eastern Conference, you saw the Eastern Conference Finals, Tampa and the Rangers, totals around five and a half, and the betting was toward the under. Western Conference, Colorado and Edmonton, totals at seven, and it was favored toward the over, minus forty. So what are we going to get here, more of that, dump and chase, tight hockey like Tampa likes to play, or more the wide-open style of Colorado like they do in the Western Conference. So I think it's a great matchup. I'm excited it's here. But, again, early action on both the series and game one. 
clearly favor Tampa Bay. I'm with you. I'm really looking forward to this because of the contrast of styles here. And these, you know, when you get these Eastern versus Western Conference, you know, with uh, they only play each other two times during the, the year, and you go back and you see that the Avalanche won both games, but they were both low-scoring games, Chuck, and they were one-goal games as, as well, too. And I know you can't put too much stock into that because it was such a long time ago, uh, but, you know, it, it just goes to the point that we're talking about what usually happens when you have a, a team like the Avalanche, who wins games 4-3, 5-4, 6-5, and, and we saw that in the Edmonton series, you know, the 6-5 type of games, uh, and these low-scoring games with Vasilevsky, like you talked about with Tampa Bay, it seems like usually, I mean, goaltending usually does win when it's all said and done for the most part, right? Yeah, I think that's a big part of hockey. Anytime you have a world-class goaltender who can stand on their head and steal a game or a series, there's a huge advantage there. And I think you look at Vasilevsky, how good he's been over the last few years in the postseason, how good he was in that series against the Rangers. Um, And, you know, Kemper has gotten Colorado here. He had the eye injury. He had the lower body injury. Um, You know, is he capable of playing, uh, you know, a series in a game to steal games and, and win the series? Absolutely. But right now, I mean, when you look at these two goaltenders, the odds, the, 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 it clearly is in favor of Vasilevsky right here. Um, but it's interesting because we do have the con Smythe up as well, and it's kind of you know the way they bet it with the majority of the tickets being on either Cal uh, McCarr for for the Avalanche, but Vasilevsky for the Lightning, thinking that hey, if Tampa wins it, it's going to be one of these series where he wins games two one one zero, and he's able to steal those games and stand on his head. So. Great series, contrast in style, the two-time defending champs against the team, again, uh, that was our, our preseason favorite. So uh, really looking forward to seeing him drop the puck tonight. Any liability whatsoever, even though, again, you know, you're talking about two of the favorites here because I think we knew that both these teams were going to be good this year. But uh, any liability from you guys' standpoint? Actually in really good shape with, um, with both teams. Um, as far as the future book goes, and I know we've talked about it, but usually when you've got teams that are kind of the favorite and there's not that value pick, you know, right. you looked at Boston, who during the season in the NBA, you could have gotten at 50 to, to 100 to 1 or maybe even greater industry-wide. That wasn't the case with Tampa or Colorado. Never really had that bad streak or spell. We're always kind of, you know, one of the top teams in the league. So overall in really good shape on both these two teams. But again, a series itself, a lot of action on Tampa. You've seen that number drop dramatically. Same thing in Game 1. Kind of as we speak, you continue to see Tampa money coming in and that Game 1 price dropping. All right, tomorrow night we uh, get back to uh, the NBA Finals. Game number 6, Celtics, that magic number again, 3.5 points. Seems like that's been the line just about in every game here. Total 210. We've seen some unders uh, in this uh, series, well, especially the last game here. But uh, what's your gut feeling telling you, Chuck? Uh, the Warriors uh, having a party on the road or the Celtics packing everything up and everyone's going to be heading back to San Francisco for a Game 7 on Sunday? You know, I want to say they're heading back to San Francisco, but it really looked like Golden State kind of figured them out from the defensive side of it. Um, and, you know, it's the early action has been on Boston in this game um, is as far as money, and they pushed the number up. But I think the betting public is showing us the way they're going to bet it because early on now, 55% of the tickets are on the Warriors. So I think 
by the time this game tips tomorrow night, we're going to be uh, Celtic fans again. I'd love to see it from a fan's perspective, the league, and, and I'm sure from race and sports side of it, I'd love to see it go seven and have that game seven played. Um, but uh, right now I think we're clearly going to be Celtic fans when this game tips tomorrow night. Even though I think the Warriors are going to win this series, and I thought that from the beginning, it would not surprise me at all if Boston shows up big. And we've seen Golden State in these type of scenarios before. And again, I'm not saying conspiracy theory or anything of that nature, but we've just seen you know, this team just sometimes get a little bit careless. You know, they, they're great when their backs are against the wall, and we saw that in Game 4. And then, you know, Game 5 is always that pivotal game, and the Warriors showed up big time. But I just got a feeling I think the Celtics, you know, if they can take care of the basketball tomorrow, Chuck, I think the, the Celtics force a, a Game 7 here. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, I mean, I hope that's the case. But, again, I, I think we're clearly going to need the Celtics from our yeah. side. That's been the case. Uh, in the first five games, and uh, we'll see. Uh, again, both series, you know, it, I mean, both you having the NBA and NHL series going on simultaneously is great. I uh, just hope we get great series in both. I'm sure we will. All right, uh, good stuff. Chuck Esposito over at Red Rocket, the STN mobile app. So easy to use, and everything is on there from not only the baseball, but the Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA Finals, soccer, everything is up there and so easy to use. Right, Chuck? It's great, guys. I mean, we love it, TC, when all the guests can kind of out and have fun and enjoy everything we have to offer at all of our properties, the Wildfire properties, our El Cortez book. But it is just a great time to get the uh, STN Sports app uh, for a $100 deposit or uh, up to a 10% bonus. Uh, up to $100. You also have the uh, Cool Steven Money t-shirt now for a $50 deposit, but we know everyone kind of gets busy in the summertime and have things going on with their families and barbecuing and hanging out by the pool, but man, it is a, it, you just whip out your phone and the sports book is right there with you with all this stuff going on right now, so come on in, get signed up, we'll get you signed up in just a matter of minutes. No doubt about it, and then I'll uh, be in there this weekend. Looking forward to it, uh, Chuck. Always love uh, coming by Red Rock. Great atmosphere to hang out there, bet, and again, the HD screens that you guys got there, fantastic and always very, very comfortable. So I uh, can't miss it. Not just at Red Rock, but at all the Station Casino properties, as we know. All right, buddy, enjoy the hockey tonight. Enjoy the hoop tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. All right, buddy, sounds great. Always enjoy chatting with you. You got it, brother. There he is, Chuck Esposito at Red Rock Station. All right. Uh, whew, tonight... I'm looking forward to game number one, Stanley Cup Finals. Hockey, as we know, is a long season. A lot of people kind of, you know, get bored with the regular season that way in the NBA as well, too. We've seen that these the NBA Finals have been very, very exciting. So tomorrow night, they'll get back at it. We'll do more preview into that tomorrow uh, with our crew. Scott Spritzer will join us from a handicapping perspective. Olden Polonese back with us again tomorrow, the big seven-footer as well, too. We look forward to that. Don't forget Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Come on out. See the show live. Jay Schrader will be in the house. Marco D'Angelo. All kinds of other guests as well, too. So come on by and check it all out. We'll be talking Stanley Cup Finals. NBA Finals and a whole lot more you miss any part of this show or any of the shows go to the website uh, go check out the interview page uh, all the current interviews are up there go to the classic page you got some great great vintage classic interviews up there as well too uh, our breakdown regarding the NBA Finals with the blogs are up there and our, our most recent interview with Thurl Bailey uh, from yesterday up there as well too great stuff uh, with Thurl Bailey. All right, for Numchuck, T.C. Martin saying so long. We will catch you manana right back here again at 2 o'clock. Have yourself a great evening. <laughs>